Last week we studied a very simple outline. If you're a note taker, you might have remembered this. We studied that the resurrection changes everything. Number one, it gives us provision for our sins. It gives us power for our struggles. And it gives us purpose for our lives. Okay? Did anybody remember that last week? Anybody get that, write that down and figure that out? And I'm not asking you because there's going to be a theological test later. How many of you guys take notes? Because there's going to be a test. There's going to be a theological test. Okay, there's not going to be a theological test. I'm going to tell you what's going to really happen. There's going to be a reality test. Okay? In reality, your life will be tested day in and day out. How's it going to go for you? Are you going to need to cash in on the promises of Jesus once again that the resurrection means that there's provision for your sins? Raise your hands if you've sinned since Easter Sunday. <laughs> the heck? Oh, it's South Beach. Never mind. I should have seen that coming. Woo, yeah. Some of you guys didn't raise your hand. You just lied in church. <laughs> you just double sin. Dang it. How are you processing your sin right now? Maybe it's just little, little specks on the radar. Not a big deal. Like, oh, this and that, you know, and you got an attitude here and a little problem there, but it's not that big a deal, okay? He paid for that. Or, or maybe it's bigger. Maybe you're, maybe you're all messed up. Maybe you got an addiction. You got a problem, a real demon, a real monkey on your back, okay? The resurrection changes everything for you. He died and rose from the dead, which means that his offering was accepted by God. You're paid for, past, present, and future. How are you going to cash in that check? Don't raise your hand right now, but how many of you guys have checks at your house somebody wrote to you, and they're sitting there on the refrigerator with a magnet under them? You haven't cashed them yet. They're not, you haven't taken that to the redemption center. The, redemp- the resurrection is redeemed for you and your sins. There's provision, and there's power for your struggles. The actual power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible calls it the dunamis, man. The power. It's the word we get our English word dynamite from. When it talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, that resurrection power. And a couple of months ago, I reached in my bag and I had two seal bombs right in my backpack that I'd put there. They've been there for like six months. I forgot they were there. Okay? Seal bombs are like quarter sticks of dynamite sitting in my bag. Totally safe. Okay? Until they're lit. And once they're lit, boom, the power. So too, did you know the power of the Holy Spirit lies in you? It's a dunamis. Okay? And when you need power, he'll light you up. He'll do whatever you need. How many of you guys right now are walking in your life powerless? I just can't overcome this. I can't see through that. I can't get over this. I'm just powerless. I just need more power. And the Lord's like, it's there. Just let me light you up through the power of my word, through the power of fellowship, the power of repentance and confession. Okay? The resurrection changes everything for you if you want it to. We're going to study two guys today that had all of the facts right there but zero faith. Oh, no. Has this ever happened to you? got all the facts you're a born-again christian you've been baptized you are a a dry christian one day and then you're a wet christian by the end of the service you know and you're a christian you got it all figured out but you're walking powerless walking in guilt and shame and we saw the last p last week that the resurrection also shows us our purpose what do we do with our days jesus rose from the dead and we saw what he was about the very first thing he did was find people on the outside looking in the very first thing jesus did as a born-again resurrected person was he went looking for those who were hurting. If you're looking for purpose in your life right now, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. Okay? Jesus said to esteem others, it's better than yourself. Jesus said if you want to be the greatest, good. Good, you should be the greatest. Oh, cool, what's that mean? Become the slave of all. What's the purpose of life? And again, we're Americans, and so we get this twisted on the daily. We think we're going to get pleasure by getting more, having more, doing more. Remember what Clyde just shared? He said there's people in Haiti that have nothing. And they wake up with Jesus and a broom and a dirt floor. You ever swept a dirt floor with a broom? Just so you know, you sweep it, it's still dirty, just in case you get it. Just, you know. And they're happy. And so Jesus said, give, don't just get. You make a life, 
by giving, not by getting. So I hope you are paying attention and writing those down. It's not a theological test, but the resurrection is actually practical, actual, factual power for your lives in everything you're going through. There's power for your struggles, provision for your sins, purpose for your life. And we're going to start right where we left off. I taught verses 13 through 27 last week, but I think I did it wrong. So I'm going to teach it again, and we're going we're gonna to rip right through there again because I just I don't think I did it right. So you guys got to give me another try. And uh, here's the point I want to put in your mind, though, as we begin this portion of Scripture. How many of you guys have ever read... Uh, first and Second Peter, okay. Read First and Second Peter before, okay. Okay, I love First and Second Peter. It's crazy. If you're ever just on an airplane, you got somewhere to go, and you've got a long time, or you know you're, you ever need a, a, bolst, a, bo- a boost in your faith, First and Second Peter, because Peter is writing to the pilgrims, the sojourners, about the battle, about what's going on, and how to stay tough, how to stay right, how to stay obedient. Peter, man, have you guys ever read John, the Gospel of John? Okay, what about First John, Second John? Third John, Revelation, all by the same author. John wrote four books. We're about to get into his book. After this book, the book of Revelation. And those books are incredible. They'll change your life. What about James? You ever read the book of James before? James is kind of like a throat punch. (sighs) You know, so good. James just gives it to you. What about Jude? You guys know that James was Jesus' little brother, right? Okay, Jesus' little brother. What about Jude? Jude is also Jesus' little brother. And James and Jude, I think it's John chapter 7, in the real-time story, James and Jude both made fun of Jesus at one point. They mocked him to his face, said, you think you're so cool? You're not cool, dude. We see you. You're not cool at all. Why don't you go ahead and go to Jerusalem and prove how cool you are? And they mocked him, and yet something, listen, something changed in James' life, Jude's life, John's life, in Peter's life. You know what it was? It was the resurrection from the dead. If you've read those books before, and I hope you have. Maybe you haven't committed the rest of the summer to reading those books I just mentioned, okay? And you'll see from these men who are inspired by this power, provision, power, and purpose in their writings, the word of God was inspired, it's incredible. And yet if you've studied the gospel with us, the whole book of Luke, two and a half years it's taken us. And if you study Matthew and Mark and John, you'll see the story of these same people. They're all in the gospels leading up to this one event called the resurrection. And if you studied Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, you've seen that Peter, James, Jude, and John were not stellar at their beginning. How many of you guys have seen this before? Remember when Jesus would teach certain things and they'd look at each other like, did you write any notes? I have no idea what he just said. Like, they couldn't get it. These guys are going to write the Bible in a few years and they had no clue what Jesus was saying. How many of you guys have ever sat through a Bible study before or read the book of Romans yourself and you're like, I'm not sure if I read that right. I don't even know what it was. And These guys in the Gospels, they began to shape their lives and dedicate their lives to Jesus. They weren't always subservient to one another. Remember, they didn't want to always serve people. That one time there was a big crowd and Peter's like, I got a good idea. Send these people home. Okay. And Jesus, I got a better idea. How about you serve them? And they didn't want to serve. Have you guys ever been selfish in your life? Anybody here? I'm looking behind this pole here, the people that are hiding back there. You know, Anybody been selfish? I've been selfish. I've not known what's going on. At the Last Supper, they show up and not one person, these are good friends, best friends we'll call it, and none of them want to help each other out and wash each other's feet. They just don't want to do it. They're all sitting there eating their food with stinky feet. And so Jesus washes their feet and says, I've done this as an example for you. You don't even need to raise your hand anymore because I'm going to berate you. But have you ever been just selfish and wanted to be served instead of serve others? Show up to a gathering. I hope I get something. Hope somebody gives me what I need. And everyone else showed up with the exact same need, but you don't care about them. All you care about is yourself. All of these things and even more. They were lazy. They were selfish. They were even non-believers at times. Remember that one time they tried to rent that Motel 6 in Samaria? Remember that time? 
Jesus sent him ahead. He's like, go get me a motel in, at Motel 6 or in Samaria. And so they went there. They tried to do it. And they're like, who's this for, by the way? Do you have a copy of their ID? Us for Jesus Christ. And uh, as they were, oh, we're not going to rent to Jesus. And so they kicked him out. And they went back and they said, Jesus, they wouldn't rent us a hotel for you. We got a great idea that we'd like to firebomb those people. And Jesus is like, did I stutter? Like, where did you get the firebomb idea? Like, Old Testament, bro. You know, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. They got it from the Old Testament, and it was, you know, context is king. And, and Jesus said, no, that's not what we're doing. We're not going to firebomb anybody. And if you're honest, as a believer, you've been self-righteous before. Looked at non-believers, haters, antagonists, okay, atheists, whatever, whatever group you're not in. And you've been mad at them. Just like maybe even in your heart been okay with their failure in life. It's not the heart of Jesus. And so I look at these guys pre-resurrection, before they're Peter. In Second Peter, in John, First John, Second John, Third, it, it, before James and Jude wrote a book, they're normal dudes walking around with their heads on backwards, doing silly things, and I can relate. Like, oh, did I know that guy? We've got some of those guys on staff at South Beach Church. You know, we've got them here. I know them. I see that guy in the mirror every morning. What changed? What happened? I'll tell you what it is. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is real and he changes lives and he helps us to overcome who we've been and to rise into the people that we are. This is why you're so privileged here at South Beach Church. We just studied through the Gospel of Luke. Love you, Susan. Technology, technology. And I love you guys because you studied through this book of the scriptures and now when you read the New Testament and you read First and Second Peter and First and Second John and you see what God has done, you'll be able to have more understanding of what God can do in your life as well, in the reality and the test that we find ourselves in. So find your way to Luke chapter 24, uh, enough of that introduction, and we're going to find out two reactions to the resurrection. Okay, number one is this, what Jesus does, we've been studying this, and number two, what we do. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Why don't you guys bow your heads and close your eyes, and we'll study this together. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we read your word, and we trust you, and we ask, God, that your word would not return void, but it would do in our lives whatever you set it out to do. Lord, I have sat through many sermons. I've snuck into the back of churches before. I've listened, and I've had my entire life changed. I've heard something that maybe I knew previously. And it was fact, but it wasn't yet faith. I've been there, and I have been changed in the twinkling of an eye. And I pray that this wouldn't be a waste of anyone's time today, but instead, Lord, we would be changed. If there be any wicked way in us, any grievances, any, any things are just foolish, Lord, would you just deal with that today, that we might be fruit-bearing, that we might be more joyful, that we might not be like the disciples before the resurrection, but instead we might be fruitful like the disciples after the resurrection. So take that which is fact today and turn it into faith. The Bible declares in Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So Lord, do that this day. We surrender, we avail ourselves to you. Our lives are not yet even lived. And so we give them to you to show us what to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Verse 13. We studied this last week. It should be familiar to you. I hope it is. I'm going to try and get to verse 35 today. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. You know these guys woke up that Sunday morning bummed and bothered by what had happened. 
because they had all the facts, but they didn't yet have faith. They actually knew the entire Easter story. We remember this from our last week's study. They knew that the tomb was empty, that it had been left, that it had been vacated, and the women had inspected, and the men as well. They knew that Jesus had been crucified. They knew he'd been tried. They knew that Judas was dead. All of this was confusing to them because they hadn't yet, listen, had a real meeting with Jesus Christ. And can I just say that at the beginning here? Maybe you know a lot about Christianity. If I sat you down with a Q&A, you could actually rip through and kind of pass that test. Like, I know some stuff. I know the facts. I don't really care if you know the facts. The question is, do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? And, and, and if you're like, what are you talking about? Then, then, then you have a problem. If you answer that question in your mind, what are you, what are you talking about? I know the facts. I grew up this way. I grew up in the church. I, hey, I, I probably know more than you, Pastor Luke. That's not a big boast, by the way. Do you know Jesus? Because that changes everything. These guys actually were in Jerusalem, and they quit. They left. Why? Because they didn't actually know the resurrected king. They had more facts, more data, more evidence on their hands than maybe you will ever have, because they were first century believers. And yet here they found themselves floundering. Don't raise your hand, okay? But how many of you guys are believers here? You think you have the facts, but you just flounder. Man, your life's crazy. You're all over the place. You get tipped over, upset, throwing in the towel, kicking, screaming, just weirding out all the time, okay? I just described my life. What the heck, you know? I, I, I mask it real well. That's why, I grew, that's why I grew a beard. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he pursues these two guys that are quitters. Okay, two things are happening here. Jesus wakes up from the resurrection, and he goes after those who are down and out. And this is so good. Actually, you can study the Bible in those two primary ways. What does this say about me? That's kind of the selfish American way. I want to know what, what, where, where, where's my part in this story. Okay, that's secondary. The primary way to study the Bible is what does this say about Jesus Christ? What does this say about God? What does it say about my shepherd? What does every single portion of scripture say about him? And secondly, what does it say about me? You know what this says about him? Is that there's nothing you can do to make him not come after you. There's no distance you can go that he won't chase you down and light up those lies. He doesn't look at these guys and say, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. I didn't want you guys in my company anyways. Quitters, Cleopas, you weirdo. He doesn't say that to him. Verse 14, it says, And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Now, you guys know that conversation must, must have been rich. They knew more than we do about what had happened that week. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. The comedy, the irony, the beauty, all of it is so rich that while they're conversing about the things that had happened, Jesus in his resurrected body, like a ninja, like a resurrected ninja, walks up alongside of them. Hey, you guys on your way to Emmaus? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you, know, hiding, you know, hiding his name tag that says Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you know. And he hides his identity from them. And he pursues them in their wandering. Now, remember, what were they talking about on their way to Emmaus? Thank you, Jesus. I'm just tuning that in. They're quitters, they're bummed out, they're having a hard time. So what do they talk about? Jesus. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, he is what? He's with them. He's in their presence. And Jesus hears these two brokenhearted fellows. They're broken. I, I poke fun at them, I make fun of them, etc. They're broken. 
they're wounded. And I've sat with people that marriages have exploded and families have parted and things have gone away and I've been in the presence of you so broken and I'm on the outside. I can kind of see it a little differently. I'm over here. I can, I can see the, the thing and they're broken. You know what Jesus says? I'm near to the brokenhearted. I got compassion for them. Love for the brokenhearted. Jesus shows up. What should we do in our brokenness? Uh, uh, I would say talk about Jesus. Really pursue him with another person. If you've got a spouse, you're blessed and, and to pursue Jesus with that spouse or maybe a, a roommate or a friend. Look at verse 15. So while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. This is an interesting verse to me who uh, study these things. It doesn't say how their eyes were restrained. Okay? That word restrained literally means held. Their, their eyes are held back. I don't know what they're held back by. Some would say, oh, it's the devil holding their eyes back, maybe. Some would say it's God within his sovereignty holding their eyes back, maybe. Some would say it's unbelief holding their eyes back. I would say maybe. I'm not sure what's holding them back. We have some evidence on the table. Why couldn't they see what others could see? Why couldn't they, listen, I'll say it a different way. Why couldn't they enjoy what was available to them? I think it was a choice. This is a hard lesson to teach, actually, because I wish I could go around your life and just listen to what's going on. What's going on? To, to give, me, give me everything and change everything and send you on your way and change everything. Just give you everything you're hoping for, everything you're wishing for. Jesus shows up and he's right in their midst. They can't see. Guess what Jesus is going to change for them? Nothing. Not a thing. He's going to listen to them, help them, figure out what's going on in their lives. And then eventually their vision will develop and everything will be exactly the same as it was before except their countenance and their purpose and their power and the provision and everything they already knew. Fact will go from their head to their heart and will become faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. It's for the things that we have that were hoped for. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Jesus drew near and he's always drawn near to those who are spiritually bankrupt. Look what Jesus does. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Some of your translations say he asks them what kind of conversation they're having as they're walking. And they just stop and stare at him like, are you for real? Did you just ask us why we're sad? And they kind of come unglued a little bit. Are you the only one not from around here? Are you new? Did you just get here on a bus? Man, where you been? Late to the party, look at their answer, verse 18. Then one whose surname was, or whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here, there in these days? Stop right there and just think about Jesus' question. He asks them this question because Jesus sees where they're at. I'm going to say it this way. Listen, he sees where they're at and that they don't need to be there. This happens to me on the daily, every single day. I find myself with a quandary, an issue, a situation, a hurdle, a setback, a challenge, a trial. We call it life. Some of you call it your marriage. That's kind of funny. That's funny. Issues, man. Issues. And the Lord shows up, and he'll just ask you questions. How's it going? What's going on? Why are you guys so sad? <laughs> I mean, why am I sad? Do you not see what's going on around me? Jesus then follows up the same question by saying, what's going on? What things? That's what he says. What things? What things trouble you so much? And let me just remind you, Jesus did the same question in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned and they hid themselves from God's presence. God asked him a question. He's like, where are you guys at? What's going on? 
Now, God knew where they were at, but he wanted them to see what was going on. Listen, God right now is in the business of helping you to see what you don't see. That's what he's doing. Some of you right now are demanding change. Lord, just change everything. He's like, Every, everything has changed. Power, provision, purpose. It's, I already did it. But I don't like this. I know because you don't see it. And I'm actually going to change what you see by asking a few questions. God did the same thing when he asked Paul, why are you kicking against the goats in Acts chapter 9? Paul did the same thing for David when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he sent his friend Nathan to ask, what are you doing? And get him out of the woods. And let me just say it this way, Christians. This is important, especially if you're a believer here. Believers who don't see it or choose not to see it or are not able to see it are the most miserable people in the world. Absolutely. Those who are believers and get themselves off the path, doing things they ought not to do, walking in any kind of rebellion or compromise at all, are the most miserable people in the world. And here's why. Because you have enough of God in you to not really enjoy your wanderings, okay? Your rebellion, it's just, it doesn't actually do what it used to do. You have too much God, and you have too much God in you, okay? You have too much God to enjoy your wanderings. You have too much wanderings in you to enjoy God's presence. The believer who doesn't quite see it, who's not all in, oh, and God will come into your grill and just ask you a few questions. What's going on? And if you just start, I've, I've done counseling sessions before where I've asked one or two questions and listened for an hour and the people stand up, oh man, I feel so much better. And I'm like, I don't think I said anything, you know. I didn't say a thing. And nothing's changed. But they've talked themselves off the ledge, talked themselves back into reality, talked themselves back into seeing, oh, 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 it's all, it's already here? It's already here. Oh, I was so... So scared and confused about all this other stuff that doesn't actually exist? Yeah, it doesn't, it's just, it's all been taken care of. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus shows up to these guys and just asks a few questions. They reject that first set of questions. Hey, you guys look sad. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> are you kidding me? Do you not know the things we're talking about? Fill me in. Now, did Jesus forget that he'd just been crucified? Did he forget the events that he had just walked through? He did not forget. Sometimes we think he forgets what we've gone through, he does not forget. Instead, with kindness and joy, he comes into your situation, not to change everything. You need to stop praying for that. If that's what you've been praying for, change everything in my life, or change this, change that, change them, he might not. He might come into your situation and say, I've done so much already. You just can't see it. You can't see it. And I'm just going to be belligerent for a second here, especially if you're an American, okay? Because we want it our way. We want it now. Thanks to Burger King, we think we can have everything our own way, you know? Have it your way. Kit Kat said we could take a break, you know? We're all messed up now because of Kit Kat and Burger King. When everything changed, God comes in and says, I, I did all that. You want more? Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now we're gonna look at their facts. What do these guys have to work with? The things considering Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Okay, is Jesus a prophet? Yes, no? I'll go there with you. It's capital P. You know, he's not just a prophet. He's the prophet. He's a prophet that was prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He's a prophet. They're, they're right. He goes on to say, mighty indeed and word before God. Was, was Jesus mighty indeed and word before God? Yeah, yeah. And, and all the people, everyone would agree. I don't think they quite understood, though, who Jesus really was. He was those things, but he's those things and more. He's not just mighty indeed. He is God himself. 
Jesus wants them to know that. Verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this is the third day since these things happened. Stop right there, eyes up here. I need you to see this. Maybe circle it in your Bible if you've got a little Bible marking pen or consider it later. These guys express their problem. Man, Jesus showed up. He was mighty in word and deed before God and man and all the people. But, that's where you start circling. We were hoping that he would redeem Israel to her glory. We actually had this other idea that Jesus would do something different in our lives. Don't raise your hand. How many of you guys expected Jesus to do something different in your life by now? Like, I thought, oh, 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 oh. You know, you're showing Jesus, like, I thought you were going to do this. I prayed. Remember that one time? Remember? I said, I said, do this. I said, amen. I said, amen. Did I stutter? You know. That's what they're saying. We were hoping. I'm going to read it to you again so you see it. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, just stop right there. Do you guys think Jesus redeemed Israel? Okay. Yes, he did. Did he do it the way they wanted him to do it? No, he didn't. This is called the sovereignty of God. I am convinced at 40 years of age, okay, walking with Jesus, he is going to do his things his way for his glory and my good. His way, his glory, my good. It's always his way. I'm never even surprised anymore when God does something different than I thought he should do it. And I'm not even surprised anymore. It's like, you did that totally different than I thought you should. Woo, guess you're God. I guess, I guess you're still God. I thought, you, you know, I thought we were going to swap seats for a second, you know. No, no. God does things infinitely more creative and wonderful than you would ever do them. This is fun when you get to that point in your Christianity. Like, God's just going to do his way. Dude. And it's going it's to be nuts, okay? And we're going to be like, wow, give him more glory. It's going to be crazy. And right now, you've had prayers that have gone out to Jesus, and you've asked him to do certain things in your life, and he hasn't done it your way. And you're frustrated if you're honest. Like, man, man, man. Let me just say something. Be careful about this type of preaching that says that Jesus is like a genie in a bottle, and you just pray, and he'll give you your wishes, and you'll have your best life now, health, wealth, and prosperity, and security, and all this stuff. And man, if I just do it right, God owes me. He wants me to succeed. I was hoping you would do this. And be careful of that type of preaching, because here's what's going to happen. That's bad theology. This is bad theology right here. We were hoping he was going to do something. We were hoping he was going to be the king. We were hoping he was going to take out Rome and deliver us. That was what we thought he was going to do. And when he didn't do what we thought he was going to do, we decided to quit the team. I have seen Christians fall to the wayside because of bad theology, a bad understanding of who God is and what God, listen, owes you. Man, we thought he, he was great. He was great until he stopped doing stuff that we wanted him to do. Ended up getting himself killed. <laughs> Whoa. Bad theology will lead you to disappointment every single time. As a matter of fact, let me say it differently. If you're disappointed today, this is, this is a belligerent statement, if you're disappointed today, it could be because, if you have, because you have bad theology. You truly just don't understand God. You're mad about this. Now, your situation might be difficult for sure. But you've got to have an understanding of the sovereignty and goodness and plans of God that he is working for eternal things. And he knows best. Father knows best. These guys were disappointed because we had hoped that it was going to be different than it was. And Jesus here, guess what he does? He approaches them, says, let's walk. I'm going to help you through this. Because there are hundreds of people here this morning that have disappointing stories. You, have, you, have you prayed for something? And it didn't happen? Have you put your hope in something? Even something good. It's a good thing, Lord. Lord, I want this. It hasn't happened? That's hard. 
And you have to have a good theology of who God is and what's going on in this life. Okay, here's theology 101. Okay, there is a God, and you're not him. Okay, that's theology 101. Then you move on to theology 102, which is life is hard and God is good. Don't confuse the two. And when you build on those foundations, there is a God and I'm not him. I just, you know, I can move on. And life is hard and God is good. These guys are exposing their hearts to Jesus, which will allow them to be healed. They go on to say, it's been the three days since this happened. Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb earlier, they astonished us. Man, the facts just keep coming in, even though we don't like what we see. And when they did not find his body, verse 23, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, they went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. We studied all of this last week as we read through this and saw these women of faith reported this truth to the men. The men didn't believe it. A few inter, uh, inspected it and still they didn't believe it. And let me just say this one thing about evangelism. If you tell somebody that Jesus is real, okay, with your shirt or whatever, these charismatic women went out there and planted seeds of the truth. You know what God's going to do with those seeds of truth? He's going to back them, just so you know, okay? They had heard this report from the ladies. The tomb's empty. Angel said he's not here. We inspected, but we're just not sure. Jesus is like, that's, that's where I'm taking you right now. If you're an evangelist, if you're a mom or a dad, and you've sowed those seeds of truth in your kids, okay, the Bible says those won't return void, but he'll do with them what he sent them out to do, okay? You stand back and just let the Lord deal with it. These ladies, hey, we saw what we saw. Take it or leave it, dudes. And Jesus is making sure that this fact turns into faith and that that faith turns into a muscle that is evidenced. This is kind of where I want you guys to zoom in and focus now on Jesus' response. This is a stranger, by the way. He's just, you know, picking at their scab. What's going on? Why are you guys so sad? What things? Just being kind of a, you know, what are you, who, who are you, bro? I don't even know you, you know? And now Jesus is about to rebuke them. Verse 25, and then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, King James, oh, you fools. That's strong language. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Listen, please. Jesus right here uses the one word that changes everything from your facts to faith. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to Starts with B, rhymes with E-leave. Believe. They had everything. They'd read the whole story. They knew what everyone had said. They had all the fresh, hot facts from that Sunday morning. They just recounted the story. The chicks checked it out. The tomb's empty. There's an angel flying around. It was crazy. But him they didn't see. What, what do you, did you believe or no? No, we didn't believe. We just didn't believe it. And I am continually surprised mind blown at those who I interact with that have the facts, myself included, the guy I see in the mirror. I got, I got, dude, I have so many facts. I've read so many books. I've been to Israel twice. I've checked the tomb out, going again in May just to make sure it's not occupied again. And yet I find myself down and out, depressed, walking away, kicking rocks, looking for some worms to eat and die. And Jesus comes into my grill. I said, what's going on? Anything that I've already secured changing your life? No. The report's still there. It's all still, it's all still good. <laughs> but I thought you were going to fill in the blank. I thought I ordered a 
sandwich at Starbucks this morning. And I thought they'd have it ready by the time I got there. And you would have thought by my reaction that the resurrection had never happened. <laughs> I confess. And I, I, I'll, I'll end the story there, but man. Here's what happened, actually. It's a good story. I got to, to get my sandwich, and I was waiting politely. They were busy. I was like, oh, you guys are busy. I'll just wait. No sandwich. And I waited for like 10 whole minutes. And finally, I was like, hey, is, there a san- are you, is anybody making my sandwich? Oh, it's right here. It's been there the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. It's like Jesus was alive the whole time. My sandwich was there the whole time. It's the same stuff. Same stuff. <laughs> same problem. Jesus has a few interesting things. If you're a Bible student, you should be uh, listening to the red letters. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, verse 25. Let me summarize that. Didn't you believe the Bible? Don't you believe it? I'm telling you what. I think it was uh, May 1st, a couple days ago. I was reading my Bible, and I read Psalm 1 and and Proverbs 1. It's a simple practice to read the Psalm of the day and the Proverb of the day. Today would have been the 5th. I did that as well. And when I read Psalm 1 and Proverbs 1, Man, so refreshing. It was so filling and so guiding. It was purpose. It was provision. It was powers. So good. It was, haven't you, don't you just believe? And you who are believers here today say, I do believe. But you have to go back to the spot where the blessings come out and refresh yourself in the water of the word day in and day out. You've got to do it. Jesus is rebuking these guys for not taking hold of what they already believed in. He says in verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and have entered into his glory? This is important. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This word expounded means to explain. Jesus here rebukes them for their unbelief, then gives them the best Bible study ever given by anybody in the history of mankind. Jesus opens up the Old Testament to these guys while they're walking on the road to Emmaus. He's like, guys, don't you remember? And we don't know what he said. We can speculate. He began to teach these guys on their seven-mile journey to Emmaus. Don't you guys remember in Genesis chapter 2 where God declares, let us make man in our image? Who do you think the hour is, he might say to them? That was Jesus and the Father. Don't you remember in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where God promised to send his seed to crush the head of the serpent? Who do you think the seed was? Don't you know that that's Jesus? These guys are mad because Jesus didn't do what what they thought he was going to do. Then he could have went on to Cain and Abel. Don't you remember when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices and one was accepted and one was rejected and it was the lamb that was slain that was accepted? Don't you guys remember that? Don't you guys remember when the whole world was flooded and there was some saved through judgment? That's a picture of some being saved through Christ and don't you remember Abraham and Isaac and Isaac being sacrificed and God said I'll provide myself a lamb and he's the one who did that and don't you remember in Numbers chapter 21 when the children of Israel were bit by the poisonous snakes and Moses raised up that golden serpent in the wilderness and said if anybody looks at the golden serpent in the wilderness you're going to be saved and all these people came out and looked at the golden serpent and they were and I'm sure Jesus wasn't talking that fast <laughs> but he went on and on and on And on, and they'll say in a minute, don't you remember? They'll say when they finally see it, don't you remember when he was teaching us out of the Old Testament how our hearts were like burning with fire? He had rebuked them for slow and dull of hearing hearts. Your hearts are dull and slow. You can't see anything. So what did Jesus do? He began to preach to them the Bible. But he did it in a special way. There's a big term called hermeneutics. When you go to Bible college, you'll learn hermeneutics. There's hermeneutics, homiletics, there's apologetics, there's all these, these 
classes you take. Hermeneutics is how to study God's word and to make expositional teachings where you exposit or expose what it says. You make hermeneutics, a hermeneutical teaching. Homiletics is how you put together a sermon. Hermeneutics, okay, it's all about how you study the Bible. They should change the name from hermeneutics to hymeneutics, okay? Because when you study the Bible, guess what? It's all about him. This will change the way you read it. It's all about him. How did First Peter write his book in Second Peter and James John? Because it was all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when Jesus rebuked these guys, he took them through the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 55, Psalm chapter 22, all the stories about Jesus. And Jesus is walking with guys that have all the facts. You guys here today, I'm going to say it, you have the New Testament now. They didn't. You guys have more facts than they did. And I wonder how many people right now are walking this path. Well, it could be better. My life's all right. Thought this was going to happen. Thought it would be better over here. Kind of bummed about this. And Jesus is slowly pulling up to you going, what did you say? What did you say? I thought it would be better. Better than what? Better than the empty tomb? Better than resurrection power? Are you for real? Burger King said I could have it my way, Jesus. You know. I thought I could have this name and claim it, blab it and grab it. Man, I got the whole thing figured out. This prosperity gospel destroys people. Because life's tough and God is good. That's theology 102. And there is a God and you're not him. That's theology 101. I want to read verse 27 again. Then we're going to hustle to verse 35. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, seven mile walk. And he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in with them. Stop right there, eyes up here. This whole story is nuts. I hope you never forget it. Hope you always go back to it. These guys have already quit the team. They're leaving. Jesus shows up like a ninja, a resurrected ninja, starts asking them questions that he already knew the answer to in order to get them back on the team. And he used the word of God in order to do that. He preached the Bible to them hermeneutically, hermeneutically. It's all about him. And as they got to their destination, Jesus just keeps walking. Like, who would do this? Where's Jesus even going? On purpose. Listen, he's giving them an opportunity to constrain him. On purpose. The Bible says he would have just kept going, but it's... I know. Uh... Can you come into our home, please? Can you come in? And they constrain him. The Bible actually uses a violent word here. This is the same word used in other terms to, de to describe a violent takeover. They constrain him. Bro, you can't keep going. You got to come in. It's late. We like you. We got food. Come in, come in, come in. And Jesus says, I thought you'd never ask. And I'm just going to put it this way. Jesus will not reveal to you any more than he already has, listen, unless you ask him to. You might even be sitting here stubborn, mad, super smart, everything's together, but you're kind of frustrated in God. He just, and yet he wants you to ask him into your life even more. He's right there. He wants you to ask him and invite him. And you know what Jesus is gonna say? He says, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anybody opens up with me, I'll come in and I'll sup with him. I'll hang out. I'll, I'm honest with you guys, the 9 a.m. service. I'm not honest with the 11 a.m., but I'll tell you guys. But I, I go days, if not more than days, where I fail to just let the Lord in. Stubborn, just, I'm just gonna keep doing it. Not that bad. I'm not that glad either. I'm not happy, I'm not walking in the spirit, but phew, this didn't happen, that didn't happen. And the Lord's just waiting for me to tap out. Lord, would you come in and sup with me? I'm all messed up. 
Lord, I'm frustrated, I'm mad, I'm angry. And the Lord's right there saying, I thought you'd never ask. He pretended to keep going. He did the same thing on the water when there was a storm. Remember that? Storm and the ghost, Jesus walked by the boat. He's like, what up, fellas? And he keeps walking. And they're like, ah, get in the boat. He's like, thought you'd never ask. You know, that's weird, okay? If I was writing the script, I'd be like super here. Like, here I come. I'm coming in to save you no matter what. No, no. He won't intervene or interact any more than he already has without your cooperation. You know what this is going to require for you moving forward? Humility. A soft heart. Repentance. Husbands, wives, learn to be soft towards your spouse. Repent quickly. Ask Jesus into the middle of your marriage again. Okay? Just, hey, we need Jesus here. We're all messed up. We've got to soften our hearts. Whoa, 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 whoa. We need Jesus now. We need him now. Last night, the last thing my wife and I did before we went to bed was we got on our knees and we just prayed. Prayed for everyone we could think of. We prayed for this, this service and what's going on. We just prayed. Invited Jesus in. It takes a soft heart to do that. These guys are like, hey, Jesus, wait, wait, hey, they didn't even know this guy's name, and they invite him in, see what happens next. He comes in, verse 30, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. What in the world? They invite Jesus in, he comes in, says, thanks, I thought you guys would never ask. He sits down at their table. He's a stranger, they don't even know his name yet. He grabs their food, starts praying for it and feeding them, like, what is going on here? You ever invite someone into your house, they start cooking right away, like, I'm not sure if this is how I wanted you in my house, you know? I'm not sure if this is what, I didn't see this coming. And Jesus says, I'm gonna break bread. Now, he had just done this three nights earlier at the Last Supper. These two guys weren't there for that. They didn't necessarily know how that looked, but the way Jesus did it, and when Jesus did. And we're going to break bread right here in about 10 seconds, okay? We're going to take communion together. We do this every Sunday. And eyes are opened up, and you're reminded of the truth. Then their eyes were opened, and they said to one another, I'm going to have Paul come up, and he's going to lead us in a song right now, actually. He said, did our heart not burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened up the scriptures to us, we're going to start right there next week, but I want you to see this. So they rose up that very hour, and they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Stop right there and just see these guys' response. There's two ways to study the Bible, what it says about Jesus and what it says about us. The first thing says that Jesus will go after those who are lost. He will go after those that are hurting. He will go after those that have the facts but lack the faith. He's like, I love you. I love you. And I'm going to teach you the scriptures. It's all about me. Everything's about me. Don't read the Bible anymore thinking about you. Think about me. That's how you got to study the book. And when this happened to those guys, their hearts burned within them. And their eyes finally opened up. And they concluded at the end of this meal, this is so cool, we, our hearts, did your heart not burn within you? Now, this is between you and the Lord. How's your heart this morning? Honestly. You might have some things together. You got your troubles. You're normal. You're just a normal person. I get it. But is your heart burning, okay, with purpose and direction that would cause you to, like these guys, stand up and run back to Jerusalem seven more miles to tell the good news? They changed their entire lives. Did you know that nothing new had transpired? There's people here right now, you're waiting for something new. As soon as I get something new, as soon as this happens, I prayed about it. I will get with the program then. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to give you anything new. As a matter of fact, you're slow of hearing. You have a dull heart. And you need to break bread with me. And I need to fire you up. Because I've already risen from the dead. I've already done this, son. You're living your life by your own rules and in your own way and going a direction that I didn't, I didn't die for. And I want to end this sermon this way. This is between you and the Lord. We don't, we don't play church here, just so you guys know. This is real. Jesus is real. I got stuff to do that's going to last forever. Okay, I'm going to fight. I don't know if you guys are going to fight. I'm going to fight a spiritual battle. This is real. And Jesus wants to fire you up. And so would you close your eyes? And if you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, my heart is dull. I'm stubborn. I'm calloused. I'm prideful. I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm hurt. Maybe things didn't go your way. These guys were hurt. They were disappointed and hurt. They, had, they thought something was going to be different and it wasn't as they expected and they were disappointed. And so Jesus said, well, let's just go ahead and run through it one more time. And their hearts got on fire. And if you're here this morning and you need those two things to simultaneously happen, you need your dull, slow of hearing heart to be warmed up and you need fire to be kindled within your bosom and your chest. If that's you and you're going to be willing to just say, yeah, I'll do that, would you just right now raise up your hand? Raise up your hand right now if you're dull of hearing. You've got the facts. You're not a dummy. But you're not on fire. Raise up your hand if that's you. And you're willing to say, Lord, light me up. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. Just forgive me, Jesus. Light me up here today, Lord. I know the truth, but I'm not... It's not evidence in my life, Lord. Forgive me. Raise up your hand right now and join these hundreds of people. Lord, my hand is up too, and I just repent. Lord, life is too short. It is too short to waste. It's too short to just dink around. Lord, forgive me, Lord. I'm I'm praying for myself, and if that's you, just nod into it. Forgive me, Lord, for being shallow, for being disappointed in things, Lord, that that's, that's your choice. You're God. You're mighty in deed and in word. You're the prophet, Lord, that was sent. You're the one that we can trust, and we want to believe in you. And life is tough, but you're still good. And there is a God, and we're not him. And so we crown you as king of our lives. Raise up your hand right now if you need the Lord to do something in your life. You're not just confessing something, but you actually need a change. You need a surgery, a spiritual surgery. Raise it up a little higher. Lord Jesus, would you do this? Would you stir us up? Get us back in the word where we see that it's all about you, Lord, and our lives are changed. Even now as we come to the table, Lord, and take communion and break bread with you, may our eyes be opened up again. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, as we examine ourselves and celebrate this believer's communion and light us up again, Lord. We need you desperately in these days. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.